You are listening to the Bootleg Avocado Podcast, bringing all things food, beverage, cannabis, and psychedelics. In this episode, we discuss the booming cannabis, hospitality, and tourism industry, and how more curious onlookers are indulging in these memorable travel experiences. Special thanks to our panelists, Amy Serencioni O'Connor, founder and chief people officer at Humble Bay Social Club, Estine Federica, brand and communications managers at Dr. Doe Social Club, and Brian Applegarth, president and founder of the Cannabis Travel Association International and Cultivar Strategies. You can find out more about Bootleg Avocado on our Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook pages. Be sure to look up our upcoming live events at bootlegavocado.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, welcome, everyone. This is Bootleg Avocado presents the resurgence of cannabis hospitality and tourism. Uh, we've been trying to put this one together for a long time. Uh, special thanks to Matter Communications and Coral Co. Wellness uh, for supporting us on this conversation and getting everyone excited about this panel and all the discussions we're going to jump into. Uh, like I said, this is Bootleg Avocado Presents. This is your virtual culinary cannabis event series. My name is Mario Rodriguez. I am your, the owner and uh, your moderator today at Bootleg Avocado. Uh, our mission is very simple. Our work, work is grounded on leading collaboration, support, and global innovation in food, beverage, cannabis, and psychedelics. We believe in a culinary-first approach to creating socially responsible and sustainable food concepts. Uh, like I said, this is kind of our end of the summer kickoff. Um, we are very excited to, uh, you know, offer a amazing uh, giveaway and getaway um, brought to you by Coral Cove Wellness. We're going to jump into, uh, you know, that those discussions in a second and how you can win the trip, uh, the trip of a, of a relaxing, relaxing um, backdrop in Jamaica. Uh, and then, you know, the main event is obviously this amazing panel that we put together um, on the resurgence of cannabis, hospitality, and tourism. Uh, very grateful to have all these um, innovators in the space. People are really blazing the trail in not just the United States, but also overseas as well. Um, but without further, further ado, I do want to intro you to my co-host, which I'm really, really excited to finally have. Um, not just kind of in the background, but also kind of in, in the forefront of everything that we're discussing. And uh, more than anything else, very much welcome, Jenna, uh, to Bootleg Avocado Presents. You've been here on the background. You're our events coordinator. Um, you managed to do basically all the amazing uh, uh, content asset work that's out there and also the communication end. So Give us a little bit about that, your background and kind of your experience, obviously, with, with us and, you know, what what are the things that you're excited about in the next next couple of, couple of months, actually? Um, all right. My name is Jenna Masaccio. Uh, like Mario said, I'm the event coordinator for Bootleg Avocado. Um, I pretty much moderate our chats. I make all our assets, everything along those lines. I'm a recent graduate of Stockton University. I graduated with a degree in hospitality and tourism management and with a minor in cannabis studies, um, which I think is great for the trip that we're about to offer. Uh, Chico will be explaining it to everyone. We are offering a trip to Jamaica. It is a four days, three nights stay uh, at Co Coral Cove Wellness. Um, Kiko, if you want to step in and tell everybody a little bit about Coral Cove. 
Yes, thank you so much, Jenna and Mario, for allowing me to be here. And definitely, the, uh, it's a wonderful program that you've had to develop with uh, Bootleg Avocado. Coral Cove Wellness is a resort on the ocean, the southwest side of the island of Jamaica. And as you see here from the video, it's stunning vistas there and we have lagoons, but what we are, we are a cannabis and fungi medicine health and wellness facility, a boutique style hotel. We offer a conference center, a daily wellness program of yoga, meditation and education on natural plants. And we also have a licensed medical dispensary on site. Our CEO is a cannabis surgeon and doctor. And so we have a great support and understanding of the medical aspects of natural plant and fungi medicine. And we, what we would like to offer somebody here who's with us today for the research in the cannabis hospitality and tourism is the, as Jenna was saying, four days, three nights, and that's for two people. And that's all your meals, your accommodations, and we'll also include a gift certificate of $25 to our dispensary. And I know if you pay really close attention today to the amazing speakers, one of you will win, and we truly look forward to welcoming you to Coral Cove Wellness. So thank you again so much for letting me be here with you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kiko. Um, the rules for the giveaway today are that uh, we will be asking questions throughout the panel on some previous highlights that we've posted on our YouTube. If you've done your research, if you've studied, um, you're more likely to win. Uh, person with the most correct answers, if a couple people do have all the answers correct, we will put them into a pool and it will be randomly chosen. Uh, back Good to luck, you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Kiko. Thanks so much. All right, so let's go back to the uh, the panel discussion. So Jenna, we're gonna jump in a little bit, okay? Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, Amy Sarisanon, I'm sorry if I said that wrong. Oh, <laughs> Amy O'Connor, uh, she's the founder, chief people officer of Humboldt Bay Social Club. Uh, Amy, if you wanna tell us a little bit about your background, how you ended up at Humboldt Bay Social Club. Uh, yeah, I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. Um, we Humble Bay Social Club was founded by myself and my husband, John O'Connor. Initially, we started as just a vacation rental company. Um, we purchased a small piece of land that was an old ranch on the beach of Samo in the, on the Samoa Peninsula on the northern coast of Humboldt. Um, so it is about a mile and a half of beach right on Humboldt Bay. Um, and there were a number of buildings on it that had been essentially abandoned. Um, and we purchased that land and, de and designed them. We don't have any formal architecture training or interior design. Um, we just knew that we wanted to live a life where we weren't just working a nine to five. And we felt like um, purchasing some real estate and turning that into something that generated revenue would allow us to um, have a life that was gave us opportunities to travel and raise our kids maybe other places besides just um, the community that we love, which is Humboldt. Mm -hmm. um, and then that has just sort of slowly grown into what is now Humboldt Bay Social Club, which is a family of um, 
of businesses. We have a boutique hotel. I'm actually sitting in our second hotel. This is Scotia Lodge, which will be opening much too soon in like a week <laughs> and uh, we are not ready, but we will be. Um, and so, right, and we also um, partnered with Pop and Barkley to create um, the first of its kind cannabis lounge um, with, um, with a smoking lounge, dispensary, spa, and a food truck in Humboldt County. It's our very first cannabis dispensary with an outdoor smoking lounge and a food truck associated with it along with the spa. And, uh, you know, our passion right now is really about normalizing and integrating cannabis into hospitality in a way that we've seen done really successfully and beautifully in places like Napa um, related to wine. And um, as I think as really proud members of the community in Humboldt, what we see lacking here as well as other places is um, a real intentionality and awareness of cannabis in the hospitality industry. We just mm -hmm. see just places not responding to, um, to not integrating or acknowledging the, um, the role that cannabis plays in our community and also the draw that it is to an area like ours, which is, is known as the Emerald Triangle. Mm -hmm. um, our business model and our mission, um, one of the key phrases we use a lot is that if we're known as a bud and breakfast, we've failed. Um, because we don't believe that the hospitality model for cannabis has to only be cannabis forward. We think you should be able to walk into any hotel in Humboldt County and get information um, and referrals and concierge services related to everything that we have to offer here, whether that's wine, um, whether that's um, our rivers and our redwoods, our hiking trails, our cannabis farms, right, our shopping and our food and drink. It should all be treated um, with the same respect and appreciation and marketed that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think our model at Humboldt Bay Social Club has always been that we want our, our spaces to feel like your, it's your backyard, but better. And for us, that also includes cannabis, right? Like you should feel just as comfortable consuming um, in a beautiful welcoming space, um, consuming cannabis, smoking it, um, having an infused uh, cocktail, mocktail and uh or you know can having an doing a tasting flight of edibles as you would having a beer on the front porch of the hotel yeah amy have you guys been able to really design just the the hospitality experience the the team and also kind of the social equity piece that you guys are all a part of have you been able to design each of those parts for it to work very harmoniously through kind of the operations that you built not just with, with y'all's place, but also Pop and Barkley? I think for, we are lucky that we live in a community where, um, you know, there's just so much wisdom and institutional knowledge. So our team is made up of um, some folks who are, you know, mixologists, and we have folks that are very well versed in vacation rental and hotel management. We also have um, folks in our hospitality team that are second, even our second generation farmers, you know, are from the hills and still live there. We have folks that still have farms are involved in cannabis in that way. And so I think, look, I'm always the first to say, like, I'm not a trained designer. <laughs> I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't even have a very sophisticated palette related to alcohol or cannabis. Like I know what I like, but I know how to create a space that people want to hang out in. And then the rest of that I need, we need our team for. So um, I think for a very long time in Humboldt, there was definitely like 
the traditional market, um, there's a lot of secrecy around it. And, you know, people often say around here, we had more gardeners and contractors than was humanly possible, right? Like people just wouldn't say what they did for a living. And now we're really lucky to be in a time when people are able to say, not only this is what I do, but this is where I do it. And this is how I do it. Um, and so, yeah, when we, we just had a meeting around a conference table and we're talking about everything from what strains are in, you know, are in some of our social nature packaging, um, you know, some of our new products. We're talking about what light bulbs to use, you know, in our rooms and we're arguing about whether we're doing amber or warm white. Um, and then we're talking about developing, you know, what water filtration system to use. So it's all just part of the same. It's all equal footing, I think, that everyone's on. Right, amazing. Um, Jenna, you wanna jump in? Yeah, um, I've noticed that Humble um, Social Club, you guys have a huge thing with social equity. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I saw you're doing stuff with Black Humble and a lot of women-owned businesses. Can you tell us what that means to the company and why you do that? Um, yeah, I, well, I'm a, tr I'm a social worker by trade and I still am actively a social worker. I um, do clinical supervision and I teach at Humboldt State University in the social work department. And I have found being a small business owner that I actually have more influence and power than I do as a social worker, right? Um, even though that my job, like professionally as a social worker, I should be, you know, the social justice warrior, but people care a lot more what I have to say when like, no one invites me on a panel, right? Um, to talk about my, about, you know, indigenous post-colonial psychology. That just doesn't happen for me, but I do have this platform. And as a company, we, people in the community like ours, they want to know what we think and they want our money to support their causes. They want our sponsorships. And so we feel, really passionately that we have a responsibility to use the platform and the access that we have to promote the activists in our community that we believe in, the causes that we believe in, and especially to create a space that is welcoming and affirming to the members of our community that may not feel that everywhere that they go. And so, um, as we all know, like cannabis is wrestling right now with equity and trying, what do we do to acknowledge um, the racial injustice and the and mass incarceration that has plagued our industry. And now that we have folks coming in, we wanna make sure that the folks coming in aren't just profiting off of the backs of folks that lived in the shadows and lost their livelihoods and their families and their communities for, for generations. Um, and so, yeah, we use our voice um, every possible way that we can, whether that's in social media, whether it's the flags that we have outside, our hiring practices, um, our donations, our land acknowledgements, um, our partnerships with our tribes. And um, I think there are a lot of, I've, I've been on panel discussions or met with other business owners who will say that they don't believe that politics has a place in small business. And I fundamentally disagree with that. I think it's our responsibility to do that, um, to promote what we believe. And um, I certainly welcome differences of opinion, mm -hmm. but not um, differences of humanity. Amazing, Amy. I know that we want to jump into kind of the expansion. So you also mentioned a little bit earlier on, um, we're doing our little powwow earlier, as far as the the impact of, of COVID and how it actually helped to um, 
you know, give uh, velocity to a lot of other businesses in a, in a very positive way. How has that really impacted, you know, kind of your operation and also the growth stage of where you all are at? Yeah, I think what we have found um, as a trend is that re regional travel and regional hospitality does really well during any kind of recession or economic downturn. Mm -hmm. And so what we experienced was this last summer, I mean, our when COVID first hit, obviously, you know, we closed down um, as according to our state and local guidelines. But then the second that we were able to reopen at all, we were overwhelmed with demand, mainly from the Bay Area, and um, but also um, throughout the state of California and the Pacific Northwest. And what we saw a lot was folks that had canceled more extensive plans, right? They had, a, they had booked a cruise or they had been going to Hawaii or they were going to Europe or Patagonia and now that was canceled, but they still wanted to do something. And so we are a road trip destination, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we really, one of the reasons that we accelerated our plans to open a second location was because we hit, we were hitting our occupancy ceiling, right? So our occupancy actually went up between 20 and 25% during COVID. Um, and some of that also has to do with a model that I think you see across the country, which is while massive hotels or conference centers that were related to biz that had um, fairly dense um, room design and were catered to business travelers or conferences, those took a big hit. But places like ours that are built in old roadside motels, I mean, you've got, we have self-check-in, um, folks can choose to interact in our public spaces, but there's also quite a bit of privacy. Our cabins are scattered across 22 acres. So we were, um, and we've always been really outdoor oriented in the design of our spaces. So um, having, we were just very well positioned design wise to, to survive the, in the COVID era. And now we're reaping the benefits of that, I think, because we met a lot, we met a lot of new customers that had never heard of us. Mm -hmm. um, and those folks now, if, if we did it right, they'll keep coming back even as, um, even as the hospitality industry opens up even more. Right. We're excited to see where that's all going to go in the next couple of months, um, especially with the you know, strong brands that you're working with. Um, so, Amy, we're going to transition into uh, our next speaker. But before that, um, we're going to bring you on actually a little bit later on in the group discussion. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. Um, so let's launch our first uh, poll question. So this is again for the uh, the trip. Uh, hold on. Let me. Here we go. All right. According to our friends at the of Hubcap Wellness, this was the um, I think it was the confections discussion we had last couple of weeks ago. What was a natural ingredient? Uh, what natural ingredient increases the effects of psilocybin? Why is psilocybin on there? There we go. So we'll give everyone a little bit of time to kind of uh, answer that question. And in the meantime, we're going to introduce uh, Brian Applegarth. Hold on, let me pull you up, Brian. President and founder of the Cannabis Travel Association International and Cultivar Strategies. Brian, welcome. Thanks so much for being a part of this. I know we were playing around with a lot of dates and your schedule is off the wall and we're trying to get everything rolling. Um, so very grateful to have you. Um, on the panel, uh, we connected a while back, both on, I think it was both on LinkedIn and then Clubhouse and everything else. And you're very, very, very well involved in everything that's happening in the travel and hospitality side of things. So welcome, tell us a little bit more about, you know, the different sorts of um, 
organizations that you both founded and helped to lead and we're kind of where that fits within the realm of everything that's happening just in the industry. Sure. Well, thanks for, thanks for including me in this panel, uh, Mario and Jenna. Excited to be here. Um, <clears throat> so there's, there's really three organizations that I work with. Uh, two are nonprofits. The first one is the, like, as you mentioned, the Cannabis Travel Association, which is an international organization that's dedicated to advancing um, the normalization of, of cannabis-related travel and tourism. Um, that's been in operation since 2017. It's a member-based 501c6, and our, our core pillars of that organization are advocacy, education, and networking. And we really like to look at our organization as the intersection of the travel economy and the travel industry and cannabis-related experiences, including CBD massages and beyond. Um, the second nonprofit is a 501c3 organization called the Cannabis Trail, actually, and it's a trail that's being built in Northern California that um, honors the really history and culture of the cannabis movement. And it's a trail that travels from Santa Cruz up to the Emerald Triangle, where Amy is, <clears throat> and, uh, and it has cultural landmarks, and, and we have an educational initiative where we're working with dispensaries to remind people uh, why we all have the privilege of being part of this this really exciting industry that's really rooted in human rights and remembering those stories. Um, and the third one is Cultivar Strategies, which is a uh, a destination solutions company for cannabis-related travel. And we work with about five destinations right now in California doing comprehensive cannabis-related travel strategy mm -hmm. to attract the cannabis travel audience that research has identified, which is about 18% of the adult population in the United States are actually driven to make travel decisions by the ability to access cannabis-related experiences. So Cultivar Strategies comes in and works with the DMO and the hotels, and we really facilitate a, a coordinated cannabis destination strategy to attract visitation. That's amazing. It seems like it's a lot of interaction with different organizations. How do you guys focus on um, not not just the, okay, let's put a plan together. We'll help you on the consulting side of things, but also mm -hmm. on the, yeah, on to make it profitable, to make it scalable. What, how do you guys focus on those aspects, which are kind of the, the, which is paramount in any small business? Um, yeah. So for, you know, for cultivar strategies, we really look at the arc of legalization as we call it. So, and that's what we just went through in California and really what the business model was informed by, which is, you know, coming out of the traditional market into the legal market and what are all the milestones that uh, we watch the travel industry kind of come across and have to solve for. Um, and as other states and destinations unlock, you know, that kind of roadmap is there. So it starts, of course, with education and uh, data. You know, all of our strategies are very data driven. We did this national research with MMGY Travel Intelligence to carve out what is the profile of this audience. So we really look at the destination pillars and the destination brand and the strategy as it is. And then we look at the cannabis motivated travel audience and we use our data to create a customized bespoke strategy for a destination um, across kind of the arc, which is education and data. And then we do a lot of um, toolkit distribution and training with assets that can be implemented to serve this visitor audience. An example of that is a piece of collateral at frontline staff that helps um, concierge and, and other hospitality frontline staff address over altered or guests that have like had too much THC or something like this. Um, so we have a set of tools that we distribute and we train on. 
And then we develop a cannabis travel program where we really facilitate itineraries and create a travel guide that can be woven into the destination that really complements its existing pillars of its brand. That's amazing. Um, Jenna, you want to jump in? Yeah. Um, I was wondering, what do you think that cannabis tourism looks like outside of California? I know that you said mm -hmm. you guys are expanding the California Cannabis uh, Association, Tourism Association, mm -hmm. to be more global. Um, do you see the same interest in other states that aren't you know, as evolved, like I'm, I'm in New Jersey right now and right. Mario's in New York, both just recently legalized. Yeah, no, thanks for the question. It's, it's, it's great timing. Actually, the California Cannabis Tourism Association, which was the association as it got founded in 2017, we recently rebranded as the Cannabis Travel Association International and did exactly what you just mentioned. We took an international geographic footprint because well, the main reason is the events that we were throwing during COVID, we started seeing a lot of engagement from people outside of California and outside the US. And it showed that, you know, what we had built over the first three years of the association, a lot of these assets and strategy could be probably serve a higher purpose by helping lead other destinations and, and, and working with them to empower advocacy, education and networking. Um, to advance, you know, cannabis-related travel in, in those destinations along that arc from traditional to now, you know, legal. Um, so, yeah, so today it's the Cannabis Travel Association International, and we have members from all over the U.S. and all over the world, outside the U.S. as well. Um, we have a handful of committees, so we have, you know, work groups and committees that really serve our pillars of advocacy, education, and networking. We do an annual report. Uh, which prior was dedicated to California, and it was called the State of Cannabis Travel. We publish it at the end of the year. This 2021 is going to be our first year publishing that data report with more of an international lens. Um, we have an annual summit at the end of the year if people are interested in attending. And the most exciting thing I want to share is we have more and more members signing up that are, that are travel industry stakeholders, like destinations, hotels. And we're finally getting that cross-pollination that we envisioned from the beginning of you know, having 50% of our membership and our stakeholders and our strategic partners be from kind of the cannabis industry side that have a very deep strategy with the travel industry or in a travel destination and serve the visitor economy and have 50% of our memberships, partners and otherwise from the travel industry side so we can really facilitate that cross-pollination between the two. Mm -hmm. One last question for you, Brian, um, before we transition, where, sure. where have you been able to um, kind of really feel out kind of the tourist knowledge uh, through what's really happening on the policy side of things? Where are you kind of bridging that gap on the education side of things and also the, the policy side? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, first off, it's a lot of education. Education is so vital. Education and data um, and just bringing the conversation current so people understand that there's more to consumption than inhalation and that there's a there's a wide spectrum of different kinds of dosing and different kinds of products and there's really a plan for everyone i would advocate that in hospitality where you are serving the visitor economy and it has the nature of of, of customer service built in inherently mm -hmm. that you have a responsibility to mitigate risk not just for your guests but for your staff and having basic sops in place that address these issues any adult use serving state 
should yeah. be addressing this from a risk mitigation standpoint, like right now. And then if you want to make incremental revenue and do some other kind of exciting developments to differentiate and attract this audience, then there's that opportunity as well. So there's the education and data um, when it comes to policy and getting stakeholders, including economic development. You know, I've met with sheriff's offices. It's, it's a lot of that kind of level of education as well. Um, through the association, I'm really excited to announce, or well, I, we announced this earlier this year, we've been working on it and it's progressing forward, which is exciting, is the drafting up of a catering, cannabis catering license yeah. um, and starting to find an author for that. And that's something the Cannabis Travel Association is working on um, to help create a license type, probably under the events license type in California mm -hmm. that serves as a catering license and, it, and it's a pathway for hotels and other mainstream travel operators to engage and include cannabis in a normalized way for weddings and groups and other events, just like alcohol. So when we do things like that, we look at the alcohol model. What does the caterer's license look like? And we essentially create the cannabis version of that. Um, some of the key bullet points to that is a higher product, you know, pre-purchase limit. So you're not limited to the 28.5 grams of dried flour, et cetera. You could buy a bigger bulk. Um, we also are addressing the, the, the kind of gray area of public facing ticket sales. And are you including, you know, providing cannabis and consumption in that? Or are you not? Um, and we're still developing it. So anyone watching this that wants to be part of these conversations to help create models that move the ball down the field when it comes to normalizing this, mm -hmm. you know, that's some of the work we do with the Cannabis Travel Association. And I encourage you to check it out at CannabisTravelAssociation.org. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brian. So many other things we want to get into on the on the group discussion. So we'll bring you right back. Um, let's see here. And then let's do our next poll question here. So let's see, number two poll question. All right, here it is. According to David Kessler of Agrify, and, and this is the innovations in Canatech conversation that we had about a month ago, the phenotypic and chemotypic uh, expression of cannabis flower is a combination of what two factors? Is it nature nurture? Is it soil testing, sun and water, or trial and error? So that's a good one to really think about and see what the answer is. All right. Without further ado, next we have Esti and Federica. They're the brand managers of Dr. Doe Social Club in España. How are you, ladies? Hi, very good. Good, good night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, good evening to y'all. Thanks for, yeah. for, uh, for, you know, being a part of this. And I know you guys handle so many things on just the events end and managing, you know, your social clubs and everything else. So can you give us a little bit of background on Dr. Doe? Um, what are the clubs all about? How the experience is kind of generated and have you able to have generated all this, all this demand for such a very exclusive type of club that y'all launched? Yeah, so, well, thank you very much for inviting us, first of all. Uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, well, I actually have a, a background on sales. I've been working on, on hospitality and, and guest experience for six years. And three years ago, I, I was introduced to the cannabis world, mm -hmm. and I fell in love, of course. Um, before, we used to, we used to just to, to reply to members via social media and everything, like without a persona, without any importance. And then we realize that if you give like a, a persona to the person that is asking questions on social media and everything, we realize that they enjoy this. 
And, and that's what I've been doing as a communications manager for, for Dr. Doe and also for Dr. Resin Social Club. Mm -hmm. um, besides that, um, in February this year, we started the Dr. Resin Live Sessions, which is a new project um, besides cannabis, of, of course. And, and it's, a, it's a music channel. Um, we used to watch these uh, these sessions on the, at the club, and we always used to talk about like, hey, we should we should film this, you know? This is this is very good. The musicians are amazing. The place is amazing. Why we, why don't why we don't film this? We talked to the manager, and she said, yeah, go ahead, just plan everything and do it. Mm -hmm. We just call a few people and decide to do it since February, and it's going pretty well. Uh, yeah. People is enjoying the sessions very 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 much. And now there's like guest list to to go to one of these sessions. It's, it's amazing. It's it's really cool. That's that's great. Um, what about kind of the the legal structure in in Spain? How have you guys been able to kind of navigate through the laws and regulations, and how you've been able to kind of operate in such a such a scale in, in the different locations that you all are in? It, well, Barcelona and Spain in general is still a legal gap. Barcelona, yeah. I think everything is a little bit more permitted than in the rest of Spain. It, but it works that it's like a shared crop and what members pay is for the maintenance of the plants and of the club, but they don't really pay for the product. So that's how kind of they work legally. Uh, I don't know if you want to add something to, to the way they work. Yeah, so basically you pay a membership and the membership, the, 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 the price you pay for the membership is to maintain your plant, yes. To, to call it like that, and that's how it works. Like that's yeah, how buying weed is still illegal here. You can't even say buy in the club. You can say pick up, acquire, any other word, but that doesn't mean that you're changing <laughs> cash for weed. You mm -hmm. can't really exchange the cash for the weed inside the club. All of this, we do it in a front desk where you have your card, you put money in your card, and then you just use it inside the club like a debit card. Yeah. Um, and well, it's just going around, I guess, around the until law. we get legalized here a little bit more. Right on. <laughs> Jenna, you want to jump in? Um, yeah, I do have a question. Um, so what do you suggest for, you know, people like me and Mario who have never been to Spain before? You know, how can we find um, a cannabis club? You know, is it something that you can ask about on the street? Am I, am I more likely to have better luck googling it, it um, is it is it i'm sorry for interrupting uh, but in the street yeah. if you're just walking down the ramla you'll have people telling you like weed marijuana coffee shop come with me and there's some people that you just walk straight behind them and then you get to a sketchy club and you get your weed but then the top clubs really don't accept people from the street you do need to come with a person that's already a member and they need to sign that they're responsible for you in a way. So okay. if you're a tourist and you don't know anyone in Spain, of course you can always use Instagram and email a club directly, but that would just depend on the club. But most clubs do not accept people from, from, the, from streets. the streets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So how have you guys been able to, I know that you mentioned the Dr. Resin live sessions. Um, you guys are kind of providing very unique experiences for everyone. Have you been able to keep that, uh, that profitable or that, 
you know, profitable enough to, for you to guys really maintain everything and eventually hopefully expand into other locations and other type of ways. How, how has kind of been the, the goals and the profitability side of things? It will, it's after COVID and during COVID, it has been really hard because at the end we build these clubs for members to want to be inside of the club, not just to pick up and leave. So we do have like a family inside the club that there's people that go there to work every day or that even go every day after work to just chill out for a few hours. So not being able to have the normal amount of people that we can have inside the club has affected us economically, of course. Yeah. It's still now we're up to 30% of people that we can have. Um, so, so it's not easy. But well, the events and the live music really has helped us because bars couldn't have live music. You couldn't stay inside of the bars, but we could have it. So we were like the only place in Barcelona where you could go and see some and live, music. live music. Yes. So that has helped us a lot, I think, starting the, the YouTube channel. Yeah, and then since the restrictions uh, slowed down a little bit, we noticed uh, tourism start entering Spain and we noticed that Everything people is contacting us uh, on Instagram via email. You see more people in the streets, which means... And people are coming back. People are uh, coming to college again because we, you do have people that come to do a master's degree, is a doctoring, and we didn't have that for almost a year. And now you start feeling that people are coming back. Right, right. Um, there's a quick question that came in. To enter a, a private club in Barcelona, do you have a permanent... Do you need to have a permanent local address? Uh, the, the comment is, I've heard that you can't use a hotel address to register. You need an address. You need an address, but does it a local or can you just do a hotel as well? Doesn't matter. You need an address. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can write down an address. Yeah. That's, that's they good. They don't like check anything. It's just. Yeah, uh, it's not that they're going to check, but you need an actual yeah, address yeah. in the country. It is not illegal to put to make a tourist a member, but it's not legal either. So you can mm -hmm. have him be a member, but it's better to have residents being members, of course. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, Jenna, you want to do the last question before we jump into the group discussion? Um. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, just because I know Spain is a little bit different. What what are do you guys only do flour for products around Spain, or are cartridges and vape popular there? We do. I mean, the mo most of most clubs in Spain, we, they have flowers, extractions, uh, edibles, okay. and all kind of products. Yeah, but everything. mostly. People like here flour, mostly, mostly. Flour mostly. and hash. Here, flour and hash. Like, and they like to roll their own joint. They don't like to buy yeah. joints that are already made. Uh, but when you have tourists, they do edibles are top. Uh, the cartridge is also for traveling. They love it. So you can find everything. Yeah. No, it's not so regulated as you have it in the US, you know? Here, it's still, we're like way yeah. back, like 10 years behind you guys. <laughs> All right, so let's discuss. Let's actually transition into the the full panel discussion. I want to make sure we have. There's a few questions also came into the um, into the Q and A. Uh, please make sure you drop your questions to Q and A, and then we'll actually cover as many as we can. Uh, but so before we take our first question, let me uh, launch our third and uh, third poll question here. So before buying uh, products to improve soil. Anel Espinoza, Espinoza of Earth Fort, uh, this was a discussion on the future of greener cannabis, recommends 
growers doing this first? Uh, is it watering the soil? Is it just dive right in? Is it adding fertilizers or is it testing the soil? Okay. Um, all right. Let's see if we have any questions. I know there was a question that came into the um, into the Q and A. I know it was answered on via text, but it actually wasn't broadcasted. Uh, the question was: as a sub, as consumption land just finally get into more support. Uh, for example, Nevada, Michigan recently authorizing uh, Vegas alone can generate uh, material activity, and even New York City. Uh, the nightlife capital of the U.S., including lounges and foundations to new rec markets. Uh, what's the panel's view on how important those entertainment social venues uh, will be for the cannabis hospitality? Anyone can jump in that one as well. Uh, let me make sure that this is visible. Can you guys see that one? I can also re-ask re the question. Uh, I'll drop it in the chat for you guys. Hold on. Here we go. So again, as consumption lounges finally get more support uh, in Nevada and other states, uh, do you guys feel how important is it for those entertainment social venues um, will be for the hospitality industry and in what way? I'll jump in. I know. Oh, go ahead, Jen. I was gonna say, I know Brian just put a report out on that about how beneficial it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's just look at Vegas, you know, I mean, there's when it comes to lounges and dispensaries and cannabis, let's say centered or, or cannabis licensed businesses. Um, it's incredibly important as it extends onward into hospitality. Um, it's really exciting to think of a destination like Vegas. Well, first, you need the safe consumption spots, right? That's absolutely necessary. And it's lacking. And that is really public safety. And it's also industry safety. So it's everything from hospitality staff to visitation, safe places to consume. I also believe we need different types of consumption spaces. I think we need non-inhalation and inhalation. And there needs to be very clear kind of dosing uh, um, industry standards for the visitor economy. So we can avoid the edible experience where people ruin their trip and they cancel their plans and they go home saying, I'm never gonna do edibles again because travel has a responsibility to make this great first impression of, of and allow people to consume in a safe way where, where it adds to their trip, which kind of leads me into like how exciting it is to have these consumption spaces open up and not just have cool vibes in the consumption spaces themselves and cool dispensaries, but also really work with the other attractions in the destination. Um, and, and Las Vegas has killer sensory experiences, let's say, whether it's Cirque du Soleil or whether it's an amazing restaurant or whether it's walking the strip, having a cannabis enhanced experience with any of those is amazing. So if it could be well-coordinated and we really show how cannabis can elevate the entire destination versus live in a silo, I think that's really important to the adoption and the integration of cannabis related travel. Mm -hmm. Amy, I know you answered that via text, so. I'll put that up there for you. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that Esti and Federica, what you said about, you know, you created a space that people, the point is that for people to stay, not just pick up their purchases and leave, I think that's exactly it, is that we need to have for so long, 
dispensaries, I think I put this in there, have been really small, dark spaces, right? You're kind of the goal, you know, um, that when we're, when we live in this liminal space of like, are we legal or are we illegal? But also just please don't come in here, right? Like we want customers, but also we're a little bit afraid of you. When we get that design wise, we end up with spaces that are not welcoming. And so I think it is on us to now create spaces that we love our can of connoisseurs, right? We love the folks that come in and they know exactly what they want and they roll their own joints, right? And they only want the best flower. But we also welcome folks that have no idea what our spaces are when they walk in and are like, wait, I think the number one question we get in all of our spaces, people walk in and they say, what is this, right? And I, I love that question because I think we have this opportunity to um, especially partnering with a company like Papa and Barkley, which does all of this medicinal, these medicinal products, and now are also making recreational products. But a lot of our customers are folks that are seeking pain relief, right? They're seeking wellness. They're nervous about, you know, Brian, what you just said, like they don't, they're all like, I'm edible. Am I gonna be, you know, I think we get questions about safety. And I saw there are some questions in the their comments in the chat about mm -hmm. safety, which I always get really frustrated about because I think we do have a responsibility around safety and education, but also like I run a bar and no one ever asked me about safety <laughs> ever. And like, I don't like people get wasted and kill each other on the road. Right. And that, but then you open a dispensary where I'm selling five milligram edibles and people are like, Oh my God, there's children outside and what's going to happen. And I think, we have a responsibility in the hospitality industry to educate people that microdosing is a thing you can use responsibly. We're not trying to like dose everybody that comes in um, and that you can get, have these experiences, Brian, as you're saying, that will like elevate your walk on the strip. You're not going to like, you don't need to end up in a corner, like wrapped in a blanket, rocking back and forth. Right, right. <laughs> What about USD, Federica? Well, we think we were talking about before joining this panel, and we were saying that for us, it's so important to offer our members like a, the ultimate experience. You know, we have people that they come from the Middle East, they come from countries that they have never seen never. a place like this. And when they walk inside, they, they are like, wow, yeah. what is this place? And it's like a mix of of a, a few things, you know, is the staff that it's awesome, that treats you very well, that they're super nice, that they educate you on what to, what to get, what to acquire, how to do it. And then also a mix of, of the, the atmosphere that we have inside the club, the, the furniture, the decoration, the music that you have inside the club. So at the end of the day, it's like a mix of, of, of things that makes the ultimate experience for yeah. them, you know, and it's very, very important for us to see their faces when they're super happy to be there. Mm -hmm. no, that, it's exactly that first impression. It always, it's, it's priceless. And I'm, I'm glad that you guys, everyone that, that should be in kind of everyone's mind in the beginning. How can you have that, that factor that I'd always remember it uh, before we dive into the next question, let me just launch the last and final uh, poll question. Uh, on our panel on confections in the world of cannabis psychedelics, uh, Sebastian Sentner notes that hard candy edibles are not very popular in the market because is it the sugar content, is it the dosage, is it the price, or is it just because it's limited flavor availability in the, in the market right now? So that's the last and final question uh, for the, the winner of the giveaway. Okay, 
Uh, it seems like we got another question in the Q&A. Um, as a travel provider, I would like to know how difficult it would be for travelers to find local cannabis-friendly stays, hotels, when they search. So what are the kind of avenues there? Um, you know, obviously a lot of that is very difficult and there could be some scams out there. You know, how is that really has developed or can develop in the future to be more accessible? Anyone can jump in that one. I think one of the, the tricky things in California right now is that um, it is legal to purchase cannabis. It is legal to have that cannabis delivered to your hotel, but there are very few hotels that allow for safe and that allow for consumption on site. And so right now, the best way to find out is looking through things like weed maps and Leafly to find um, connections that way. I, I think that we're going to see that really change in the next like nine months as, um, as California, like New York is doing things really beautifully with their legalization and the way that they're not just legalizing the selling and the purchasing of cannabis, but also the consumption of it, right? Um, and California just didn't do that. So we are now in this weird spot where the, the onus is on local municipalities to pass regulations um, and permits that do allow for cannabis consumption lounges on site. Um, so Right now, it is there's certainly Google searches, and I think a lot of us are using SEO to, to make that um, really popular. But we're all are that that really accessible, and I think you know the work that Brian is doing is really like you're you're it right. There there are organizations and companies out there that are kind of creating those guideposts for us. Anyone else? Well, I think uh, Barcelona is really weed friendly, so you don't really need a special place to, to smoke. In any hotel that has a terrace and that you can smoke tobacco, you can smoke weed. If, if you look out of your terrace, you'll probably see some neighbors with some plants outside in the balcony. It's not really permitted, but you don't feel that someone is going to call the police or you're going to get in trouble get in trouble for smoking a joint in the balcony or even in in the beach if you don't have anyone close or anything or in a park it's not really something that that you will get in trouble for unless you're doing it like walking in in a main road or something like that but but i think barcelona is really open to to cannabis in general mm -hmm. what about you brian uh, yeah, when it comes to when it comes to places to stay, I mean, when I travel, you know, it's kind of a, well, there's there's a way I travel, and then there's like what's compliant. Really, to what Amy said, it's so bizarre in California right now because, I mean, technically, if there's a elderly person putting a high THC topical on their knee on a public bench, they're breaking the law, which is insane. So there's a lot of education and I can't tell you how many discussions I've witnessed where two people are talking about consumption and one of them's little bubble is dreadlocks and clouds of smoke. And the other one is talking about all the other health and wellness benefits, you know, to Amy's point about those topical massages and all these other applications. So I think getting everybody current and on the same page. So we have the same definitions is like the starting place. Um, and then we can move it forward. If you're going to be, if you're going to be asking and, and want to be comfortable in where you're staying, you can look at these, these, there's some amazing marketplaces that are bubbling up. Um, also, you can just call the hotel. 
especially if you're an adult use destination or coming from say, listen, I use cannabis and, you know, and I'm just want to know your policies. A lot of times be that kind of openness is going to help drive this forward as well. Knowing that there's a lot of people that use cannabis and, and CBD for all kinds of reasons, medical and beyond. And that kind of goes back to also something Amy touched on, which is, you know, you have this wellness component with that spa that they've collaborated with Papa and Barkley on even lower, even not lower, but even further on the spectrum to that is there's a lot of travelers that have never tried cannabis that are considered part of this cannabis motivated audience that they just want to go to a place where they can learn. They want to go to a dispensary where they can have a cannabis one-on-one experience with an educated professional that can help them find ways to improve their quality of life. And then if you toggle up, there's the wellness traveler that wants to kind of dabble in it or have a CBD massage and have that experience and then you toggle up to like a flow state traveler, which would probably be found at the lounge in Barcelona with the ladies, you know, trying to hit flow state and be in the vibe and have a great time. And if you go even higher, you reach journeying, which is really a medical and it's doing mental health check-ins and spiritual health check-ins. And this is where cannabis travel is really going to set itself apart. And, and well, not all of it, but that is a really interesting component because that journeying set and setting. And when you decide to take a higher dose of, of, of THC and embark on that kind of travel journey in the right set and setting, that kind of transformative experience is going to become, I think, a, a signature of, of cannabis travel. And it's really exciting. And places like Humboldt Social, which I was lucky enough to visit last week, is a killer environment for that. It's amazing. You, it's outdoors. It's near the water, under the stars. You're in humble. You're at a place of source. Um, so there's a lot of different types of cannabis travel, and it's a very inclusive plant. And uh, I think we need to keep kind of unlocking all those conversations at the same time so we can maximize this uh, on the travel platform. Um, this question might be better directed at you and uh, Amy, but... Um... With companies that had just launched or were launching right before the pandemic hit, um, you know, obviously a lot of them probably struggled to get started. Um, were they eligible for COVID relief funds, do you know? Or is it, you know, is it only if you're not plant touching, can you get a COVID relief fund? Is anybody in cannabis just out of it? Yeah, no federal dollars for, I mean, and also a lot of that has to do with banking, right? Like most, um, it is incredibly difficult to find cannabis compliant banking. And so there's all these workarounds, but what we saw across the country with also like, um, you know, racial and cultural inequities around COVID relief that has a lot to do with historical banking discrimination. You see the same thing in the cannabis industry. So people don't have bank accounts, they don't have established credit or they don't have established relationships with a banker who's gonna help them with that process. Um, but also, you know, we have done, you know, what a lot of other businesses have done that are cannabis touching is that we have, a, we're incorporated separately. You know, we do, we have, you have to build a wall um, that separates your cannabis touching from your non-cannabis touching entities. And so there are ways to work around that certainly, but kind of to going back to the, the stigma around cannabis still and the federal, um, the lack of federal legalization, um, it just shuts us out from, from a lot of aid and, uh, and support. 
Yeah, I guess I'll just add on. I mean, she covered it, but another form of this also comes with marketing and advertising across state lines. So there's these final barriers of the traditional model of going into compliant and they, these walls need to come down to have a true legal landscape at the national level. And that's going to play out at the global stage as well. Um, there was recently, I think, an announcement from the UN about limitations of being able to market or advertise cannabis businesses. And they took a stance on it, which was, I got to look closer at it, but that was a couple of days ago. And um, yeah, so the banking, no access to federal funds. Um, and technically that's, I mean, it's really a problem across the cannabis industry as well. If anything has the word cannabis attached to it, it commands a premium in some people's eyes. And it's, uh, so it makes for a messy landscape in that way. And it causes problems for true, true normalization until those things come into play. Mm -hmm. ST Federica, go ahead. Sorry. Most of these businesses fail at, you know, after launching just because they could not get the same relief funds. Um, did you see that as an uptick in the California tourist market or California cannabis market? I saw a lot of tightening of the belts, especially with like tour operators and people that really depend on that audience. Um, and a lot of pivoting of business models to make it through kind of COVID. Um, but yeah, as far as failing businesses, I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, again, Amy mentioned the growth, like in a COVID and having the travel industry collapse, I guess, for lack of a better word, and, 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 and have to really rethink, you know, cannabis sales, and that kept growing, right? Hemp and seed, if you look at the data, it, it's a sector that is really resilient because it's a, it's a medicine at the end of the day. We don't, we forget that sometimes, but it's, it's inherently a tool for wellness and medicine. And um, so it was a really interesting conversation actually during the year of COVID because cannabis trended up and then the travel industry trended down. So now it's like, how does cannabis, how can it really play a role in the travel ecosystem to not just be a new experience and something cool and an emerging trend and transformative travel and all this kind of fun stuff, but how can it also maybe if it's incorporated in the right way, it could provide a layer of economic stability because it's kind of resistant when you have a, a crisis like COVID. Um, so it opened up a lot of good dialogue. And then when it got deemed essential, that was huge because that was a reminder that cannabis is essential. Let me tell you why. And now that we're talking about compassionate use with COVID, when that we had that little phase in 2020, let's take that and let's talk about compassionate use with cannabis and when that happened and why that happened. Um, so these parallels were really moments to have like, teachable moments kind of, of why cannabis is exciting, but also why it's essential and why it can be an amazing ally for, uh, for travel and for destinations economically and beyond. We have one more question from the audience before we do final remarks. Uh, this is from Jessica, she's from Italy. So in the autumn, she likes to take uh, her weed loving Italians into different experiences and, and tours and all that stuff. Any recommendations um, of new and unusual activities related to uh, cannabis that are both educational and fun at the same time? Anything that you guys have heard about in the pipeline or excited about? Well, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the live sessions because it's actually a really, really amazing experience uh, because 
it's like a TV set, to be honest. And when you talk about it, I, I've been telling friends, hey, you need to come to the live sessions. You need to come, you need to come. And they're like, yeah, 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 it's just live music. And then when they get, they get, they go to the club, they're like, what? What's, what's this? It's, it's amazing. It's like a TV show, literally. And there's like people in front of the musicians smoking and dancing. And we're filming at the same time. So they know that this is live. And it's like a really great experience. And, and when we have new members that come in, come to the club and they go downstairs and see what's happening there, they're like, what? What the hell is going on in here? It's, it's amazing. No, and I think also each club has his, its own personality. Before COVID, we had the opportunity to travel like around Spain, visiting a lot of different clubs, Sevilla, Marbella, visiting a lot of clubs. And then each club like gives you a part of their own family and their own uh, culture and their own people. So it's really different to visit each and every club. Each club can... Uh, they can share or they can... Yeah, yeah, they can offer totally different things. So I think um, you can visit a few and they're all going to be very different. Well, we're looking forward to it. Hopefully stopping by Spain when we get the chance. Yeah, um, please. So I'm glad that everyone connected definitely on the panel. Uh, we want to actually do our, our usual, you know, closing remarks. We give every panelist an opportunity to kind of say their, their final say and their hopes and wishes of the industry. Uh, first, actually, I want to I want to start with with Jenna because I, I want her to kind of that, have that experience that all the other panels has. We'll start with Jenna, and then we'll go Amy, Brian, and uh, Federica and Esty. So, Jenna, you're you're on the spotlight here. <laughs> well, first of all, um, I would love to thank all of you guys for uh, you know joining us on this panel. I know Doctor Do. I found you guys through some deep dives on the internet. Uh, Brian, I had found through LinkedIn. Amy was, you know, someone from someone Mario works with. Uh, so it was great that we got this all to come together and I feel like it flowed really nice and I'm glad we all got to connect. All right, Amy, you are next. So yeah, your final hopes and wishes of the industry and everything that you guys are working on, you know, what, what should people get excited about? Um, I mean, I think what I'm most excited about right now as in this panel is just what a, um, a sweet and vibrant community cannabis hospitality is and is becoming. And I would just encourage anyone who's on this panel, I mean, anyone who's attending right now to please, I'll just say for me, but I feel like I could probably speak for everyone, like reach out to us. Like there, we need more folks in this industry. We are growing. And so if you have your own business ideas, if you're looking for mentorship, I think, especially as a woman in this industry, I'm like just so excited to, to meet um, other young people and women that are trying to break into this and help it, help it grow. And so um, if you have questions or you're curious or um, you want to come visit, just reach out because I think my experience has been, I feel very much um, like we have been welcomed by the traditional market here in Humboldt. And I want to make sure that we pay that forward and don't just like close the door behind us. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amy, for this. Brian, you're up next. Yeah. Thanks again, Mario and Jenna. It's uh, super psyched to be on this panel. Um, I think I'm I'm excited because I feel like cannabis is the tip of the spear for the new travel trend of transformative travel. And it's really, there's a component to that that is 
psychedelic consumption, but also it's really breathing life into the fact that hemp and cannabis, however you talk about the plant, is inherently tools for wellness and well-being. And that accounts for our planet and people, spiritual health and physical health. And it's and it's it's really, I believe it's come at the right time. And I think it's here for a reason and accessible. And I think the travel platform um, if it's serving its purpose in the highest way, it's getting hemp and cannabis into as many people's hands as possible in an educated way. And that could be hemp packaging. It could be elevating the level of sustainability in the travel industry. Um, it could be helping a veteran with PTSD who, you know, takes a journey and is able to confront issues they've had. It could be helping somebody with their with chronic pain. Um, or it could be somebody just trying to relieve stress and be present in the moment because they're always having anxiety or stress looking at the past or the future and unlocking each of these in travel and really improving the quality of life and the, and the health, health and happiness of, of around the world. I think that cannabis, if implemented correctly in travel, can have that ability. I also want to acknowledge one other question that came in about equity. You know, this new industry and the foundation of it is really rooted in human rights and inclusiveness. And there's it's a very uh, multifaceted fabric and it's very layered. Um, so cannabis travel is very young and there's a lot of different types. So to step in and be part of the evolution of this and help inform this industry, uh, if you come from a community of color or, or a marginalized community that's been part of this history of cannabis, there's that component and there's also stepping into the opportunities now and carving out your niche and doing what you love and, and sharing your message through whatever company you have. One thing we work on with the cannabis trail is really elevating all those stories that we, what we can, what can we learn from the cannabis movement of legalization in California, which is the focus for the cannabis trail. And part of that is the story of marginalized communities, whether it's the queer community in San Francisco or whether it's the community in Oakland where they were incarcerated in really high rates and and really telling these stories through travel, it's culture, it's history. So there's the products and the future, but also acknowledging the past and having really kind of meaningful experiences as part of your cannabis experience while traveling um, should include those as well to help just, you know, improve uh, the way that we all see each other and the way we coexist. Awesome. Well said, Brian. Thanks so much for all that, that insight. And then last but not least, we have Esti and Federica. And no, thank you very much for having us here. I totally agree with uh, all of you. I think this industry has grown immensely. I've only been in this industry for, for 10 years. And from the first time I went to Spanavis, that's like the biggest event that we have here. From the one that I went uh, before COVID, I really can't believe how much it's grown and how much each company has grown individually. You know, but I think at the end, it's not just having a company. But also giving back, as you guys are saying, we also try in the clubs, not just to have our members, but also for our members to give back animal shelters, uh, women that have been uh, beaten kids with any illnesses. I think it's all about uh, giving back and cleaning a little bit how they saw this industry before, you know, because the first time I told my mom that I was in the industry, she was like, scared of it and now she totally understands it and and she even likes it you know and she's proud of me for working there you know so so i think um, there's a lot a long way to go but i think we're on the road to to legalizing it at least here yeah hopefully soon <laughs> yeah <laughs> well thanks everyone i want to thank uh, the whole panel i want to thank jenna and the rest of the team here 
what a memorable, memorable conversation. Uh, we'll have everything on our YouTube page and on our newsletter soon. We'll be announcing the winner of the, the vacation and everything else, especially thanks to uh, Kiko from uh, um, Cove Wellness. Um, they've, uh, they've been such a great uh, partner in this as well. And they came to us in, in offering our viewers this. So thanks everyone. Have a great summer. Thanks so much for being a part of this. Um, this is our, I don't know, uh, 15th, 16th event. Um, hopefully we'll be going live in the fall. Um, if not, we'll figure out if we, it's a virtual versus live thing and everything else. I want to thank uh, Jenna more than anyone. Uh, she is the the heart and soul of this whole operation. Um, she helps to moderate all these people and the assets and all those things. So I can't be uh, where I'm at without her. And also very thankful for the audience here and all the panels have been a part of these discussions. So thanks everyone. Very grateful. Have a great safe summer, fun summer. And we'll be back in the fall with some amazing, amazing conversations. Awesome. Thanks everyone. Thank you very much guys. Come to Barcelona. Right. Yes, <laughs> we'll be in touch. For sure. Bye. Thank you. Ciao everyone.